For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Hurtel. It has been way, 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 way too long. We keep trying to organize this, and she's always busy, or I'm in the hospital, or some screw, something's <laughs> going on. But she is currently the holder of the most downloaded episode of Hurtel of all time. She is a fantastic journalist in her own right. She has a long list of credits that we won't go through here, but she's legit, folks. She's a great journalist, but we're going to talk about her little passion project she's got going on now. Molly McCluskey, my very good friend. It's so great to have you back on the program. Welcome back. It's so nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, see, because we didn't even have video the last time you were on. That's how long it's been. And uh, the itinerations, as heard tell, has grown and developed, which I will say publicly, because a lot of people don't know, you had a big hand to do with. You have given me contacts. You have given me ends. You've given me a lot of really, really great advice. So just publicly, thank you very much for your help so for kind. me personal. No, no, it's... I don't know what I'm making this up as I go. You know how to do all this like journalism <laughs> stuff. I'm just I'm journalist at Jace. I'm just faking. I it made it I'm all up it. as I went too, so it's totally fine. <laughs> all right, you have this long uh, career in journalism. You are a fantastic feature writer, quality journalist, but you have aimed at something that I think is really cool because you know, like we do our program, we always call it cultural and politics because there's no way to really unwind that ball. It's always part and parcel. Um, you started doing this thing with Diplomatica with embassies and the reason i love it is people's like well what's the big deal with embassies is like hey embassies that's where all the espionage went down for the cold war <laughs> that's where all the secrets are kept these are in historic homes if you like architecture there's politics there's architecture there's current events because every single country in the world has an embassy in the states so if something going on in the world something goes down the embassy there's protests there there's support there what got you interested in these because i just love how this crosses so many streams at once well, I was a foreign correspondent and I was covering, you know, I was spending about half the year abroad and half the year in DC. And when I was in DC, I would be a diplomatic correspondent and then use those contacts to help me when I was traveling internationally, as sources and that sort of thing. And I was covering really difficult topics. I mean, I was covering, you know, food poverty in the Congo and I was in Syrian refugee camps and I was covering all these really difficult, soul crushing, like I would come home and not be able to get out of bed stories because I was just so really having a hard time with it and decided I needed something fun, just fun and lighthearted to balance it out as a hobby. And so I would be, you know, interviewing ambassadors or anytime I would do a big international trip, I would reach out to the embassy for things like fact sheets and contexts and things like that, which I was surprised to discover not a lot of Washington journalists were doing. If they were in Washington reporting on the Greek economic crisis, they weren't necessarily reaching out to the Greek embassy for stat economic stats, which I thought was really interesting and an oversight. So, you know, I'd be reaching out to these embassies and I'd be talking to them. And then 
I tell you, well, that's great. I want to talk about your, you know, your economics and trade. I'm an economics reporter and we're going to get into that. But first, tell me about this absolutely gorgeous building that you're in. Because I was just fascinated. A lot of them are in historic man- mansions that have been repurposed. Some of them are building fully lead certified green sustainable, you know, embassies. And the way that they were, you know, living in their buildings and honoring the history of their buildings, but also making it their own culturally was a fascinating, uh, fascinating story to me. So I started this little newsletter and thinking it would just be read by my cousins in California. And I'd have maybe 10 readers a week or a month or whatever I could get it out. And uh, little by little, I discovered that the diplomats in DC were reading it. And then they would transfer out of Washington and unsubscribe and then resubscribe from their new posts. And then their replacements were subscribing. And so there really was an interest in this community and this community of architecture and culture and politics that I found so interesting. Everybody else was finding something interesting as well. But it's amazing because one thing, because I lived in Europe two different times. I've traveled around the world. A lot of the older cities like a London, like a, like Berlin or Frankfurt has a lot of consulates in it because it's a financial hub. They have an embassy row. It's like a street. London, you have a street. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's all the embassies. Are good. We have a little bit of a cluster in D.C., but it's actually kind of spaced out. A lot of it's these historic properties. Then you got like the Czechs who per- you wrote a story about how they moved out in the woods on purpose just to get yeah. left alone. And then you have embassies switching buildings every so often. Yeah. You just covered some of these. It's really a unique thing in D.C. how we do embassies, isn't it? It really is. There is the classic embassy row, and that is still the legacy address on Massachusetts Avenue for a lot of these properties. But, you know, the French and the Germans are are way out, you know, because they have huge, massive compounds. Uh, There's a second offshoot of International Circle, which is the newer built-for-purpose embassies. We were just talking about them this morning. You know, Tilden has a bunch. Uh, the Czechs, that's where the Czechs moved when it was still the forest because it is part of the Rock Creek watershed, which is something I've been really interested in exploring is how many of these properties are physically in, like if it wasn't for the national park boundary, these properties would be in Rock Creek Park. They'd be in a national park essentially. So, you know, they're spread out. And keep in mind too, it's not just embassies. You said every country has an embassy in Washington. But there's embassies, there's residences, there's military attache buildings, there's cultural centers, there's, I mean, quite literally thousands. I mean, I know a country that bought up an entire floor of condos for their guests when they come to visit. That's an extra 20 properties. If you look at how many properties and how much physical space in Washington is owned by foreign governments, it's quite significant. Yeah, and then you have cities like San Francisco that has multiple consulates. Seattle's like that, too, because of the tech boom. Um, it's really uh, Dallas has a bunch of consulates all of a sudden yes. because of a thing. Atlanta's starting to get some foreign intervention. Uh, even my native West Virginia, we have a Japanese office because we have a Toyota plant. You don't think about, you know, uh, the Ohio River Valley in West Virginia being a Japanese enclave, but it is because we got a, a Toyota factory. These and plus for folks that don't understand and don't really know this, maybe other than the movies, this is sovereign territory for these countries. This gets really, really complicated really, really fast. It does. It does. So most embassies have their, or most foreign governments have their main, you know, their biggest presence in Washington. That's where their ambassadors are. But then there's a large contingent in New York because they need UN representatives. And then most countries will set up, as you said, a consulate where their diaspora are or where there's a major economic incentive Uh, as a means of servicing that community. I mean, keep in mind the consulates and the embassies really are are businesses within within countries. 
Yeah, and it's it's just fascinating how these things work. Okay, let's use an example. Your latest piece, a yes. long-running story that keeps bubbling up. We don't want to just pick on the Catholics, though, because the Southern Baptists have their hands full of the same issue at the moment. Every uh, the, religion. Every religion does. Every religion. Every, yeah. it's, look, we've, we've covered abuse on the show. We've had multiple people on. Abuse in the power structures, it's just a magnet for those kind of people. But the man outside the Vatican embassy, talk about this one, because people like the Vatican has an embassy. Yes, it's a state, and yeah. top of being the Holy See is considered a state. This yeah. this story, I, it was one of those I actually read twice, just because I had to stop and then reread it again. But tell the story of this man, uh, John Wojnarowski. I hope I'm saying that right. Was, outside yeah. the Vatican Embassy. So John um, is an adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse by a priest, by a Catholic priest, from when he was growing up in Italy. He's Polish born, grew up in Italy, which is where the abuse happened, and then moved to Canada for a while, worked on jobs, and then moved to the U.S. And in the late 90s, when lawsuits started bubbling up against the Catholic Church, you know, he realized, hey, I, I might actually have a claim. And his intention was really acknowledgement. He hadn't really discussed it. Nobody in his family knew. This was something that had deeply impacted his life in many ways. As you know, with sexual abuse survivors and trauma survivors, childhood trauma survivors, a lot of times it's difficult to maintain relationships, maintain steady employment, um, deep internalized shame kind of guides a lot of decisions that you make in your life. John said he basically married the first woman that talked to him. Um, they have a very good relationship now, but he, you know, was they were together for 30 years and he knows that he put her through a lot of pain because he had dealt with his own issues. So in the 90s, when these, you know, survivors started coming forward, he, he went to the Catholic Church and he said, hey, I'm an abuse survivor and I need recognition and I need compensation and I need I, I need this to be a thing now that, that I'm talking about it and I get acknowledgement on. And you know, the Catholic Church as they do with many of these cases basically said, nope, sorry. Um, sorry, uh, you're, this happened too long. If it happened at all, it happened too long ago. There was no way to um, prove that it had been abuse. I believe he was 14 at the time. I'd have to check my article, but uh, and they said, no, you probably, if it did happen, you probably wanted it. It was consensual. Uh, and by the way, your alleged abuser is dead now. So too bad. And you're out of luck. And he basically said, yeah, you know what? That's, that's not going to cut it for me. That's sorry. And so he, you know, he lives in a suburb of Maryland that's close to Washington. And so he started coming out and protesting at the Vatican, which at the time did not have a fence. And I get into that in the story a little bit, but it was just basically an open lawn. And he would come out and he would stand on the corner and with his signs and he had flyers made up and he would hand out the flyers. And keep in mind too, this was, you know, pre-spotlight at the Boston Globe, which was 2003, I think, and pre the movie. And so people, you know, did not take it very well. And at one point he claims a cardinal spit on him as he walked by. And at one point he said that he was sur physically surrounded by priests um, and verbally accosted and threatened. And so, but he didn't stop. He came out every day for years and years and years. He's now, I believe almost 80. And so he doesn't come out every day anymore, but he comes out a couple times a week. But this was his life. And this is 24 years that he's been doing this now. And he's a fixture in the neighborhood, but the odds of him getting any kind of justice or acknowledgement or compensation are very, very slim. It's, you know what struck me about this? Molly McCloskey joining us from Diplomatica Global Media. 
what struck me about this is we've covered a lot of protests the last couple of years, whether it's Black Lives Matter, uh, January 6th, although that turned into a riot. Now we're finding out about all the underlying things with that. But, you know, started as a protest. Take whatever you want. We've dealt with protests a lot the last few years. That's not what this is. This is this one guy. And it reminded me that episode that did so well of her tell we talked about where you were out on the reservations. There was a part of your story about the missing uh, women on the reservation where you had, I think it was three or four women just walking down the highway with signs protesting. And it was such a start because that's out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And it, it was just one of those, this is all they've got to do. So they're protesting. That's what I thought of thinking about this guy's like, this is one guy, this is so different than the media coverage or a mass movement, or it's organized by social media. This is one dude since what, 97, 98, he's been 98. doing this? 98. 98. Yeah. This is one guy just, he's like, hey, this is all I can do, and I'm going to do it. And he keeps doing it on a human level, because you've covered big stories, you've covered small interest stories. That just struck me on a human level. How did it hit you? The thing that's so interesting about John, he's so painfully shy. I mean, he's, at one point, as he was talking about his abuse with me, he stopped and apologized and censored himself because I was a woman and he wanted to be delicate and he didn't want to offend me. But the thing that's so, so poignant to me is that John is not trying to raise abuse of all of sexual abuse within the Catholic Church, right? That has been covered, that has been blown wide open. I mean, there was a Chilean priest arrested a couple of weeks ago for child abuse. I almost got into the different cases that are actively pending right now around the world, and it would have been a different article, right? Yeah, the bishop in Australia, there's a lot of really messy yeah. ones. And I should also say, too, so I was raised in, a, in the Catholic Church. I watched, you know, my generation destroyed by this. Almost, you know, at least one person in every family that I knew growing up had been assaulted by a priest. Um, my mother had been abused by a priest when she was younger. So this was a very uh, poignant topic for me. It's a very painful topic for me. So as I was talking to him, the thing that really struck me was he's not on a mission to unveil this worldwide. He's not on a mission to stand up for sexual assault abuser, uh, abused you know, victims around the world. He wants somebody to acknowledge from the church that this happened to him. He wants somebody to acknowledge and compensate him the way that he saw, he sees the gross unfairness of it all. And that was what really struck me. Yeah, Molly McCloskey, diplomatic of global media. It's amazing what you do with these stories because you start with these grandiose buildings and all this power, but it always comes no matter what the story, whether it's espionage or there's there's a lot of lovers and things like that. And there's it always comes down to just good old-fashioned people stories, don't they? Yeah, it's always people. I mean, there's the thread of ghosts that run through all the stories, right? Because so many of the embassies are claimed to be haunted. And so there's, you know, who is haunting this embassy and what's their deal, basically, was is a fun, is a fun thread for me. But I really like bringing together the history of that particular building with what's going on now. I mean, the Monaco ambassador's residence is a perfect story of that, right? That was, I wrote that during the Trump administration. That was Warren G. Harding's old house. That was the, you know, uh, the precursor to the veterans, you know, the, the veterans administration. That whole story had so many echoes in what was happening with the Trump administration that it was hard. I didn't even have to explicitly say it. It was just super obvious. Yeah. People that think Trump was a little uncouth, they should read up on Harding sometime and the Ooh. stuff he was getting away with 
Oh, my goodness. I mean, he makes Clinton look like a piker. Uh, Molly McCluskey <laughs> joining us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to take one of those particular stories right out of the headlines. Ukraine, Ukraine's embassy, crossing a lot of streams again of history, politics, current events. We're going to get into that. The great Molly McCluskey joining us right now on her tell right after the break. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. We have Molly McCluskey of the Fighting McCluskey. She's one of the journalist people, but she's one of the good ones. I promise she's got good stuff. Make sure you're reading and following her. Uh, let's talk Ukraine because you covered the Ukrainian embassy. This is not unusual, though, because when some world events happen, whether it's a diaspora or the, you know, the expats or just, you know, the working population, whatever the case may be, embassies become gathering points and that became true when russia's illegal invasion of ukraine we've been very clear on this program where we stand on that vladimir putin's one of the worst actors in the world uh as usual the ukrainian ambassador and the uh, ukrainian embassy became a focal point for both protests and support that's not unusual but that building has some interesting history that crosses some streams again doesn't it that building does have some history. So that building is the site of the dinner that George Washington held when he was trying to convince Washingtonian landowners to basically give up part of their land to build uh, the nation's capital and move it from Philadelphia. And so that building, more than really any other building in Washington, I mean, top five maybe, is one of the oldest and one of the most historic and one of considered the most critical to Washington. History. Yeah, and uh, something our lawyer friends, one of the most important foundational legal cases, Marbury versus Madison, that for folks that don't know, that basically established the Supreme Court and judicial review, one of the most important parts of our separations of power, especially on a day like today, we're recording this on the Friday when the Dobbs decision, and yes, we're recording this as Dobbs drops on purpose, so we don't have to talk about it. Um, Mad Marbury versus Madison is one of the foundational parts of our government, and that touches on that building. Yep, Marbury was one of the owners and residents of the of the house. Uh, he lived there for quite some time. He wasn't the builder, that was Forrest, uh, but he moved in after Forrest and was one of the people that was at that dinner that helped decide that that the nation's capital was going to be in, you know, at the time it was basically Georgetown um, and named after the British king and that it was going to be it was going to be here in D.C. Otherwise, we'd also be in Philadelphia. Yeah, well, who wants that? 
I'm kidding. Wait, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Great. Uh, Philadelphia. I've lived in Philadelphia. It's a great city. I love it. As long as the Eagles aren't playing and winning and or losing either one, then you got to kind of watch yourself. And, the, and it's a horrible airport. I'm sorry. It just is. I've flown all over the world. I'm an air transporter by trade. It's a terrible airport. One of the cool things about this building, though, is you actually have an old photo of it, which a lot of these buildings, for whatever reason, they didn't photograph them that much. I love this quote, though, from the historic houses of Washington, D.C. I'm not sure the date on this. You can tell me. But it said, quote, one of the worst looking, most dejected buildings in Georgetown. That's Georgetown with a hyphen for some reason. At the present day is 35, 3350 M Street, a structure certainly deserving better treatment than it has received. The photo of it, 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 it looks like something out of a spaghetti Western. It's black and white with wood frame door. I mean, it does look, you, you could never tell that was in Washington, D.C. I don't know what year that photo was. But that's kind of one of those cool things, because for whatever reason, a lot of these buildings, they didn't really document the history as they went along. They figured it out later. But this one, you got that picture and it is kind of a sad state of affairs. It's I mean, it's rough, right? It's it's a rough building. It almost, you know, collapsed at one point from disuse and disrepair. It was the site of nightclubs for years and concert halls. And, you know, they were renters, right? These nightclubs came in and rented the place and, you know didn't necessarily invest in the upkeep of it. Uh, it. At one point, it was purchased by a development company that had all these grandiose plans for it, and they went bankrupt. <laughs> so the building really had, you know, it's amazing that it's still standing, essentially. Yeah, I love this list of names that it held as it was a nightclub. It was, and I'm quoting here, Apple Pie, Casablanca, yeah. Smokey's Groovies, Julie's, and then the exact quote here is it's a poor cousin to the cellar door. The reason I key on cellar door, of course, is because that's the legendary spot where John Denver met the couple that wrote Country Roads and they went back to the apartment and banged out a song that was about Maryland that we have co-opted and claimed as our own. All right, that's my West Virginia <laughs> fact for today. Cellar door, look that one up. Um, but modern day, let's bring it up to the modern. This is not unusual, though. Something like Ukraine happens, the Ukrainian yeah. people and people that, more importantly, Americans who want to support a foreign country the embassies is where they usually go do that. There's a lot of historical background to that, and that's probably going to continue. Why is that, and what's the history to that? So embassies have always been a place where people can go and gather. I mean, when the Lebanon, when the Beirut explosion happened, I mean, my famous, now famous Twitter thread that's been kind of echoed around the world about the, the Syrian man lighting the candle at the Lebanese embassy during the after the explosion, right? Um, during apartheid in South Africa, my friend's dad kept getting arrested for protesting apartheid outside the South African embassy. I mean, it's a way to show either support or protest of a country's policies. You can cause enough ruckus that the the message gets not only to the U.S. government but back home to the to the country's government that you're protesting. It will always be a thing. Uh, I can't imagine it stopping at any point. Russia has received numerous protests, and keep in mind those protests kind of run the gamut, right? So they're they're your standard candlelight vigil protests, your signs and chants protests. Then there have been acts of violence against embassies, which we have seen, right? The, How you doing, um, everyone? I'm talking about you, Turkey. <laughs> I'm just hey, we, yeah. we name names here. The Turkish they they literally so, had a street fight. I mean, yeah. and this was oh, just they, a couple of years ago was so turkey the residence which is where that happened is an incredibly historic building in dc that i won't touch uh because it's you know it's a place where music was integrated in washington because while segregation was still you know the law in dc the sovereign territories as you pointed out did not have to follow those laws 
And so the Turkish ambassador's residence started holding integrated um, concerts, right? Which is incredible. It's an amazing story. But it's also the site where the Turkish president came and ordered the assault of American citizens on American land. They weren't on the, the territorial land of, of the Turkish residents and basically got away with it. And there was no consequence. I think one or two diplomats were expelled as pro forma. But so, no, so that's that's one of those things where I'm kind of, you know, I'm staying away from that one for a little bit. Yeah, I don't blame you. Molly McCluskey, this is such a wonderful thing you've developed here, and you just rebuilt it from scratch with a hiccup. Uh, even <laughs> even professional journalists run into the game. I I've, I tell our young voices folks that we mentor all the time, I was like, you got to understand the Internet's like the gold rush. The saloons and the dancing girls and the liquors actually making all the money, and that is web hosting and web yes. designers and the people that are charging <laughs> you money to do this. That's who's actually making the money. You're not going to make money. Yeah. Uh, so you had a little hiccup, but I'm glad you cleaned it up. Uh, let folks know where they can find it, diplomaticglobal.com. Uh, We're going to link to it in all the show notes like we do, Diplo Global on the Twitter. Let folks know where they can find it, how they can subscribe to it, and how they can support it, because I absolutely love it. It's wonderful stories of nothing else. Plus, like we said, this checks a lot of boxes for if you like history, politics, current events, this is for you. Well, thank you. And I think one of the things that I'm really trying to do in addition to opening the doors to embassies for folks, is to have something fun. I mean, we've had years and years of just drag terrible news, especially on all of the topics that I cover, right? Climate change and migration and social justice and urban planning. I mean, every possible thing feels like it's just going terribly wrong. So I wanted something fun and informative, but it has transitioned from a newsletter to a solutions-focused newsroom. And for me, that's twofold. One, I want to physically open the doors of these properties to folks that may not know. If you didn't grow up going to embassies, if you didn't, you know, intern on the Hill in, in college, as I didn't, you didn't, you might not know all of the cultural resources and the photography exhibits and the musical performances and all of the amazing things that these embassies are offering free into the public. And so I want to showcase those. But as I was spending more time at these properties during the pandemic, I was realizing how much physical land they have, how much property, how many acres. I mean, Twin Oaks, the Taiwan estate, is 18 acres. That's larger than President's Park with the White House. I mean, when you have that much land in a city like D.C. that has transit challenges and housing challenges and, and all of these issues... What is your responsibility when you own a huge multi-acreage legacy property like that? And not to just call out to an oak, so they're doing a lot of great work, but you know, all of these big, big properties, it was really something that I started thinking about in terms of embassies are satellites of their home, of their home countries. But what if we started looking at them collectively as a micro city? And in some ways that was really very similar to my start in journalism as a small town reporter in Alaska, right? Where if you reported anything in my town of 800 people and somebody didn't like it, they were going to come knock on your door and have a conversation with you about it. And that's really how I've, the approach that I've taken with reporting on these embassies is that there are neighbors, you know, we are their neighbors. We all are coexisting. Let's talk about what that looks like. Let's showcase best practices. Let's talk about what folks can learn you know, from one embassy to another about how they're physically managing their land. So what you're saying is we need to give RFK to a responsible country. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a DC joke. Not everybody <laughs> that. Um, 
I think uh, we should give up our RFK to DC Parks and Rec because they're awesome. And they they ought to do work. something. <laughs> Between that and the armory, you could do something. Man, that's a $2 oh billion dollar piece of property. Do you know how much property. food we could grow in Washington? Uh, <laughs> have a decent state. All right, Molly McCluskey, let folks know where your social media is so they can follow you and sign up for the website real quick before we got to kill. Yeah, I'm Molly E. McCluskey on Twitter. I'm Diplo Global on Twitter. I'm Embassy Calendar, which is just a listing of public diplomacy events that are offered free into the public. Diplomaticaglobal.com is the website. You can sign up there. You can certainly donate. There is a support page if you'd like. At this point, all subscriptions are still free. And I do occasionally organize outings, like I'm taking a group next week to the former residents of the Ambassadors of Spain, which is the Spain cultural office of the embassy. Yep, and uh, the Ordinary Times crew is doing their meetup in D.C. over Labor Day weekend. They oh, may yay. have to get you up on some of that. Yeah, please do. So, uh, I won't be there. I'll be having surgery right around there. But oh, that's yeah, how it goes. Molly McCluskey, we will do this sooner and frequently and more often because it's been far too long, my friend. Thank you so much for the time today. You're wonderful. Thank you so much, Andrew. Have a great day. You're the best.